embodying quiet, how we embody quiet. The norm in our culture is not to embody quiet. And the Pew Research Group did a study of people in stress. 23% of people said they always feel rushed. Always. So there's a lot of unrest in our culture. And we rarely take a true moment for ourselves. We take moments, but do we take a true moment for ourselves? And that's what meditation really is, is taking a true moment for yourself. So thank you for taking that tonight. The world needs more people taking a true moment. And it's not just about taking it up in the head or the heart, but it's embodying it more in the gut and dropping down, bringing our stillness into our gut. Like that bird, it's balanced from the center of its being, not from the beak, not from the tail, not from the head. So we have to be that balance. And how do we learn to slow down in our lives, to be this embodiment of quiet? How do we do it? There's a couple ways I wanted to mention tonight, and you might have your own ways, that these are ones that I found to be helpful. The first is to look at all the ways you make yourself unquiet. How do you make yourself unquiet? Listening to too much news. Constantly evaluating yourself. Narrative, judgment, judging other people. Adding one more thing to your to-do list before you walk out the door and you've already got five things that you shouldn't have done before you went out the door. A friend told me today that uh, they did some research on people being late and we have to allow 15 minutes just to get out the door and most of us forget we need that extra time. It's because we do add more things. There's a Chinese saying that says people in the West are always getting ready to live. So that's the way we make ourselves unquiet. We're going to always have that quiet moment later. Or we're waiting to love ourselves once we fill in the blank. Then we'll be at peace. Well, that never comes, does it? So another way to make yourself quiet is to stop the civil war in your mind. And a really important part is there's no narrator in there talking to anybody. The you that's talking to yourself, there's no you talking to you. There's nothing there. It's just a voice talking. The more I practice, I've been practicing for about 35 years, I start to see thoughts don't even come from inside of me anymore. They're just like flying by like little meteors. (laughs) And it's so much fun now when they're not happening, bouncing like a pinball machine inside, and they're like, oh, look at that one. They burn out pretty fast. And then you can just play with thoughts. It's, it's more fun when they're not yours and you have to do something about them and it becomes this big deal. The Buddha said to make your mind your friend. 
How many of us have our mind as our friend? Well, why not? Whatever your list is, is all the ways you make yourself unquiet. Your mind's not your friend, you're making yourself unquiet. And then not to make that a problem either. Just to notice. Author Mel Schwartz says the most important relationship we have in life is with our thoughts. That it's not with your partner, it's not with your kids, it's actually with your thoughts. Because we're with our thoughts constantly, more than any person will ever meet on earth. And what's your relationship with your thoughts like? I told this to a friend and she was like, ooh. (laughs) So right there, that's where you start. In the Dhammapada Buddhist teaching, it says, all that we are is a result of what we have thought. We're founded on our thoughts, made up of our thoughts. So make your mind your friend. Have a civil relationship with your thoughts. Hafiz, who's a Sufi poet, he says this little short poem about thoughts. It's called Find a Better Job. Find a better job. Now that all your worry has proved such an unlucrative business, why not find a better job? (laughs) And one key I found in many years of practice is it's really simple with the way we unquiet the mind. You don't actually need to, like, cling to some tools and get all obsessive about it. And you don't need to push away thoughts or resist them. You can just let the majority of everything fall away. You don't indulge. You don't resist your thoughts, your emotions. They wear themselves out. You don't actually have to do much about them. And in the Abhidhamma, which is the Buddhist psychology system, they actually have one place where they describe one second of our life They describe this one second. There are 5,000 changes that happen in one second. Your body and mind are changing that fast. So how much do you need to do about these thoughts and emotions if there's 5,000 changes in one second? They'll just go. You know, in an hour there'll be 30,000 changes. Or no, in a minute there'll be 30,000. Just let it fall away. And if you want something even simpler than that, just let your mind settle. I was talking to my Hawaiian elder, Auntie Ahi Ahi, and she has taken up recently as her spiritual path this pounding of these tree fibers to make a cloth. And then that cloth is printed And it takes days and days to pound this cloth. It's very tedious. And she was saying to me, she said, Amita, you know, people don't have practices that are tedious anymore. And those tedious practices help you settle the mind, like grinding corn or 
you know, quilting or pounding this kappa. You know, Kate's a potter. She has to be throwing this clay. That's very tedious. We need these things that settle our mind. You know, driving on the freeway is not a tedious, mind-settling thing. <laughs> so, you know, meditation is it. That's the tedious activity we can do to help settle our mind. It's one of them, right? It is tedious. It can be tedious, right? Follow your breath. So that can be one of these ancient mind-settling things. But look at your life and see where you can find some other mind-settling moments. Maybe it's out in nature. Maybe it's just touching the earth, going to the Gila Valley, putting your hand in a river, looking into the eyes of your dog. Not tedious, but very mind-settling. It's not about yanking our mind back to an artificial or contrived state of stillness. If you let it settle, this quiet place is already here, like this bird I showed you that you can hit. It, the quiet and the settling is already in the bird, and you already have it in your body you already have the complete resolution and quiet that you seek. The Buddha said, I gained absolutely nothing from complete and full enlightenment. I gained nothing. Why? Because he already had everything right there. It's giving up to the silence versus producing it. A very kind of small distinction, but an important one. Don't spend 20 years of practice thinking you need to produce silence when you're it. You're already it. My teacher, Ajashanti, describes meditation in a really beautiful way. He says, meditation is letting go into that which isn't making noise in us. So letting go to that which isn't making noise in you. So right there, the silence is already there. Might be below our to-do list or our fears and worries, but it's there. See if you can find it right now. What isn't making noise in you right now? your empty essence. And that's it. It's that simple. Again, in the Hawaiian tradition, they have a beautiful metaphor for this. They say that everybody is born with a bowl of light in their heart. And what happens throughout our life is different traumas, different experiences. We put a rock in that bowl, and then we put another rock in that bowl, and another. And then pretty soon, the whole bowl of light is covered with rocks. 
and we forgot we were a bowl of light and we can't see the light. But meditation is taking those rocks out one by one. Sometimes you might dump part of the bowl until you're back to your original nature. Bowl of light, empty bowl of light. It's still. Who were you before all your thoughts and conditionings? Who were you before all your life experiences? Especially traumas. Who were you before all your trauma? You're just this presence. That's not much. And remember the Buddha, I gained nothing from perfect enlightenment. He came back to just being a little kid sitting under a tree when his father was cutting grass, his father's servants were cutting grass in the field. And he just remembered the simple presence. And that's what got him to sit under the Bodhi tree and to remember it again, that bowl of light. Just be that now. It's still here. It go anywhere. And in a way, this is our gift as meditators to the world, if we can keep remembering this below the chaos, below the thoughts, below all our I, me, and mind, and my problems, and my needs, and which are all fine. But dropping down into this presence of you that's still, that's causeless. The Buddha talks about things as being causeless, without conditions. Dropping down into that and being that in the world is so important right now. The world's not going to make it right for you to be still. The world's not going to slow down so we can all catch up and be still or I'm not going to create the right conditions for our mind to calm down. Have you noticed it hasn't been creating the right conditions for your mind to calm down lately? (laughs) It just won't. But you can create the right conditions for your mind to calm down in any place. There's a man I was reading a book about, a guy that spontaneously woke up in a horrible prison in Mexico where they were blaring rock music like 24-7. Anything's possible. Rene Lazul says, inside the chaos, build a temple of love. So no matter what chaos is going on in our world, build a temple of love inside of you. And it really doesn't have to be building so much as drop into that natural place that's already here in you. And in some traditions, in uh, Christian tradition, they call this the still point. So like you look at a wheel that's spinning around and around, that's like our thoughts and our emotions. You take one of those spokes and you go to the inside of the wheel And it's quiet there, no matter how fast your brain is running or the world is running, you can go to a still point in your body right now and be the center of the wheel. And at the center of the wheel, there's always a Buddha sitting there. That's you. 
the Tibetan Wheel of Life, if you've ever seen it, it has a little Buddha in every realm, in the heaven realm, in the hell realm, in the human realm. There's just a little Buddha sitting in the corner of every realm, and that's you. You can be that. And you know, it's important that we're this still quiet place. We embody it. Even if the world can't see it, and no one does it, and no one values it, would you do it anyway? Are you willing to do it if no one sees it or values it? And see what your commitment is to stillness. You're going to return to it, so you might want to commit to it or not. You'll just be dragged there. <laughs> so just in closing, just you know, if you can't remember anything I said, just think about a rock dropping deeper and deeper, like a rock going down in water in a pond. It just drops deeper and deeper and deeper. I saw it in a research about meditation states that it actually only takes 20 seconds to enter deep meditation. 20 seconds. So don't think it takes a lot of time. You can be this still point. 20 seconds, I can count right now. Just let yourself go there. Drop deeper. Down. Deeper. Still point. Bowl of light. And dedicating what we do is really important. Dedicating this moment that you might be able to connect with your still point or not. Dedicating it to all beings. You're that one point of light, and it's important. And I'd like to close with this Rumi poem. It's called One. One tree can start a forest. One bird can herald spring. One smile can bring a friendship. One hand can lift a soul. One star can guide a ship at sea. One word can frame the goal. One sunbeam can light a room. One candle can wipe out darkness. One laugh can conquer gloom. One hope can raise our spirits. One touch can show you care. One voice can wake up everybody. One life can make the difference. Be that one. Be that one. <laughs>